if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for being with us. As we get rolling now at 9.07 on this Tuesday, the 11th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Good news for you and bad news for you as we start laying out the show for you. The bad news, first, Peter Kersenow is on assignment, so he is unavailable for us today. He will fill in and make up, make good for his absence today a little bit later on, but obvi- or a little bit later on this week, rather. But obviously, the good news is that more opportunities for you to call have been made available. And you can do so at 216-901-0945. We will be guest-free in Peter's absence, so plenty of opportunities. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. I will do social media to a certain extent. I will remind you as to why I do not do social media to a large extent as the program goes on. But for now, if you want to send me a message on Twitter and Facebook, you may do so at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, and no underscores. I am very close to deactivating my Twitter account. Just to lay that out there for you, very, very close to just saying, that's it. I cannot be a part of that cesspool of hatred, anger, judgment, leftism, censorship, banning, Etc. I just, I'm, I'm very close to saying I just can't do it anymore, so I'm not going to try. That's just the way I'll leave it right now. Uh, it is such a horrible place. Yesterday, I went on to Twitter and then went back over to Facebook, which isn't a whole lot better. It's probably slightly less damaging, slightly, I guess. But I, um, I went over to Twitter and to Facebook and I posted the following. The DNC the two most destructive organizations, or I think the word I used was, was repugnant now. I'm trying to remember it. Uh, the two most repugnant organizations in this country today are the DNC and Twitter. And a lot of people say, oh, what do you mean? What about BLM? What about Antifa? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, I, I made that pronouncement carefully. I did it for a reason. Um, I truly believe that the DNC has their hands and their fingers in every pie. And I think that Twitter enables and emboldens all of the other terrible organizations, repugnant organizations, and bad actors out there. 
I do. I think that the Black Lives Matter organization, which is Marxist and terrorist, that Antifa, which is terrorist and fascist, ironically, uh, in its own regard, um, I think that those organizations, and I think the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, which of course is supported by the DNC, I could sit here and name congressional Democrats, I could talk about uh, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, I could talk about so many organizations that are repugnant working and operating in the United States, and all of them generate support and a platform from Twitter. And Twitter makes it impossible to critique and or criticize those organizations because they control the platform. I do. I think Twitter and the DNC, which you know runs CNN and runs the mainstream media, they literally are just in bed together. I think these are the most destructive and repugnant organizations in America. Uh, I kid you not. And so that's why I'm having a very hard time keeping my Twitter account active. I know I need to see certain things on Twitter because of what I do for a living, but it's hard, i got to tell you. President Trump loves the platform, just loves it, and that makes this very difficult for me. I've got to see what he's tweeting. I've got to see what he says. I've got to see what people are tweeting about him. As a, It's just part of the course of my job. But it's hard, i got to tell you. It's very hard. Maybe I'll deactivate my account and open up a new just observational account and just make sure that I follow only the president and his detractors and see what goes on back and forth there because the rest of it is just so disgustingly filthy. I mean, it is a cesspool in every sense of the word. Okay, let's move on. So we're going to be guest-free today. I want to start in Chicago. This is simply incredible uh in uh in all of the 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 worst ways uh you saw of course the videos of the looting and the destruction in chicago uh ostensibly over a shooting of what was originally reported by the liars that look for reasons to loot and to riot Originally reported as a 15-year-old black male unarmed shot by Chicago police. That was the original uh, uh, report, the original statement, the original lie that was told. Similar in some regards to Michael Brown surrendered in broad daylight, put his hands in the air in the middle of the street and said, don't shoot. Hands are up and don't shoot. And in the middle of a busy street in broad daylight, Darren Wilson shot him in the back. Remember that story? That was the the birth of the Ferguson effect. And that was the birth, well, you you might say that Trayvon Martin's situation gave birth to the BLM movement, but Hands Up, Don't Shoot in 2014 grew it to levels never even imagined, right? Well, this was similar to that. Let's tell a lie, let's tell a fake story to get everybody outraged, and then we'll have an excuse to go and steal really nice stuff. And that's exactly what they did. Turns out, it was a 20-year-old, and he wasn't unarmed, he was armed, and he wasn't just armed but running, he was shooting at police officers at the time that he was shot. In other words, policing was being done. They don't do a lot of that in Chicago anymore because they're not allowed. But policing was being done. Police were trying to catch a criminal and trying to avoid being killed in the process. So they fired back at somebody who was firing at them. That should never be the standard for law enforcement in America, but unfortunately it becomes that. Where police 
are either kind of told or suggested don't fire unless fired upon or their own self or a sense rather of self um protection in terms of their job security and their freedom if they don't want to go to jail makes them kind of act that way internally can't fire unless they fire first because then i'll get fired and prosecuted that is absolutely not the way the law works. That is absolutely not the way policing is supposed to work in any community ever, anywhere. But it's reality. So and in this case, in this case in Chicago, they had been fired upon, and the police fired back and struck this 20-year-old, but it didn't matter. The reality of the situation, the facts don't matter when you're looking for an excuse to commit crimes and to commit theft. So rioters and looters rampage through Chicago's magnificent Mile shopping district uh, in the late hours of Sunday night into early Monday morning. And Apple stores, Macy's, Nordstrom, Best Buy, Coach, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, all of these stores were just looted of Lord only knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know. And when you count the damage to the buildings, millions perhaps of dollars in theft and damaging. And one video, which just stands out above dozens, if not hundreds of others, features one woman screaming, I can't breathe, as she stole merchandise. I can't breathe, as she looted a luxury uh, clothing store. As if to, just to remind everybody, I'm a protester. I'm a protester. I'm saying I can't breathe. That means I'm a protester who's upset about George Floyd. That means you can't prosecute me for the theft that I am committing right now. I can't breathe. That is literally the way this has evolved, or rather devolved. That's the way things are done now. If you are said to be protesting and you smash, steal, burn, assault, throw rocks etc., etc., you're not going to be prosecuted by big city mayors and liberal Democrat district att- district's attorney. That's, th- that's the way this is going to go, or district attorneys, I guess is a better way to say that. That's the way that this is going to go. How do we know? Because we have seen it happen in cities all over this country, the cities that want to defund police. The cities that simply do not believe in law and order and punishment of people as long as A, they are minorities, or B, and and maybe and rather than or, and B, they have a righteousness about them. They're protesting something that they find to be destructive. They're protesting something that they find to be unfair. So as long as they have righteousness about them, while they're committing their crimes, they will not be prosecuted. We know this. And again, some of the cities that we're talking about here, these are some of the cities that have planned, that have made announcements to defund police to some extent or another. We're talking about Seattle, and I'll get to the police chief resigning there in a moment. Portland, Oakland, Berkeley, California, Los Angeles, California, Tempe, Arizona, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, Charlotte, North Carolina, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, 
which has already done it to the tune of a billion dollars in Hartford, Connecticut. These are just some of the cities that have said we are going to defund police because police are bad for our communities. But what's not bad for their communities is people, as long as they have a righteous air about them, if they're shouting the right protest slogans, it's okay for them to smash, grab, burn, destroy, and loot. So let's get back to Chicago now, because all of this kind of came home yesterday to Chicago, as that city's extraordinary embarrassment for a mayor, and i got to tell you, I, I, I think there could be an NCAA-style bracket, a tournament, to determine the, the absolute worst liberal Democrat mayors in America. And I think Lori Lightfoot would get a top seed. I think Ted Wheeler in Portland would get a top seed. I think de Blasio in, uh, in New York City would get a top seed. I think Chicago's Lori Lightfoot would get a top seed. And the other one, I don't know, probably... Maybe Garcetti in uh, Los Angeles. I think that would be a contender for the other top seed. Maybe, um, I'm trying to think, maybe, uh, no, I already said Seattle. Ted Wheeler, I already said that. Uh, uh, the oh, You know what, Bowser probably. Muriel Bowser in D.C., mayor of D.C. I think they would probably, it would, they would come down to Garcetti or Bowser for the last top seed. Anyway, Lori Lightfoot is one of them. No question she would be a top seed in the tournament for worst mayor and most destructive mayor in America. She was asked at a press conference yesterday about the looting of the, the Magnificent Mile. We are waking up um, in shock this morning. In early morning hours of um, today, dozens of individuals <laughs> came to our loop, Mag Mile, River North, and Gold Coast neighborhoods, as well as our commercial district around uh, North and Clybourne. These individuals engaged in what can only be described as brazen and extensive criminal looting and destruction. And to be clear, this had nothing to do with legitimate, protected First Amendment um, expression. You catch that? You catch that? This is brazen looting that didn't have the air of righteousness around it because we didn't believe that they were really upset about George Floyd. Or systemic racism. It didn't, we didn't hear the right slogans. We didn't hear Black Lives Matter being yelled enough. So it didn't have the air of righteousness as they committed these crimes. So we're going to call this extensive criminal looting and destruction. But the same looting, destruction, burning, et cetera, et cetera, that was going on over the course of the last two months in cities like Chicago, and including Chicago, as long as there was enough chanting about I can't breathe or about black lives mattering or about end racism or about kill them, uh, uh, fry them like bacon, pigs in a blanket, if you're not, as long as you're, as long as you were protesting something like police or like, uh, you know, something having to do with what happened in Minneapolis, then you can loot and smash and steal to your heart's content. And Lori Lightfoot would not lift a finger to stop you. Neither would Kim Fox, the activist, racist prosecutor in Chicago. And yesterday, a reporter called them out on that. How did that exchange go? You'll hear that next as we analyze all of this, the insanity of the violence going on in all major cities around this country because liberal Democrat mayors allow it. And in fact, again, if righteousness abounds, 
They encourage it. More coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. So, um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, easily a top seed and the worst mayor uh, in America tournament. And by the way, correction, I, I want to, uh, somebody was telling me Seattle in my head uh, before when I was trying to f- pick my four top seeds. Uh, certainly Mayor Jenny, Jenna Durkin up in Seattle, who allowed the chop zone to go on, would probably be a contender for one of those top four seeds as well. But I was talking about Ted Wheeler in Portland uh, because I think he has been the biggest head in the sand in the entire thing. But anyway, back to Mary, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She said she was shocked, shocked! To see uh, wild acts of violent criminality being uh, committed in her city. This is a city, by the way, that has had 2,443 shootings this calendar year alone, and it's only August 11th. You understand that? 2,443 shootings. That doesn't even count the stabbings, the assaults, the clubbings, the beatings, the kidnappings, and the rest in the, uh, in the horrific, horrific violent city of Chicago. But she was shocked to see violence being committed, particularly the style that was committed at the Magnificent Mile. And by the way, police went down to try to defend the businesses and to try to stop the rioters and the looters and the, uh, and the uh, arsonists, et cetera, et cetera. They were overwhelmed because there aren't enough cops to possibly deal with that many uh, wild, violent criminals, right? So they were overwhelmed. It was an assault not just on the businesses, but also on the police force, which led finally to a reporter calling and actually practicing journalism and calling out Mayor Lori Lightfoot in the press conference yesterday and actually asking for answers. Do you think that the the violent looters were emboldened by the fact that all of the rioting and looting that went on before, a little closer to the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis, do you think they were emboldened by the fact that you guys didn't arrest or prosecute them? Listen to the exchange that followed. All right, I don't know why we are just hearing static right now as opposed to the audio that is supposed to be in this clip. I'm going to give it one more shot. It worked two seconds ago. One more time. But just go by what's been. Hold on a second. Yeah, uh, not sure exactly why this is happening. It's not the way I planned it, trust me, because I want you to hear the reporter's question. The reporter's question is basically basically just what I said. The reporter said, uh, do you think this has anything to do with the fact that they didn't feel like they had any threat of jail because you didn't punish them last time? This is the police superintendent responding before we get to Lori Light. Take it from me. Just go by what's been done. I don't, I don't want to do your job for you, but just go by what's been done. There was, there were no consequences for the people arrested. Greg, let's be clear. I mean, don't bait us. Okay, now stop for a second here. All right. So the police superintendent agreed with the reporter. I'm not going to do your job for you. Don't take it from me. But yeah, there were no consequences for the people who did this before. Mayor Lori Lightfoot wasn't having that. She shoved the police superintendent out of the way so she could get to the microphone and condemn the reporter. Don't bait us, okay? This is no no, don't don't do not bait us. Don't do not bait us. This is a serious situation. People are concerned about their safety. Officers are concerned about their safety. So don't bait us. What we're saying is 
as a result of what happened last night, there have to be consequences. We've got teams of people that are aggressively out there identifying the people responsible, looking at the, the plates, and we're going to bring them to justice. But when we do, and we do make those arrests, our expectation is that this is going to be treated with a level of seriousness that it should be, period. Don't try to bait us, mischaracterize, pit one against the other. We're not playing that. We are in a serious situation here, and we need a serious response. You were in a serious situation here the last time, and the multiple times since the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis led to all of these. You didn't hunt down and try to arrest and hold these people accountable. You didn't put them in jail. You let them go scot-free, which is why they felt emboldened enough, hey, somebody got shot in Chicago by a police officer, let's go! I'm hitting Louis Vuitton. Where are you going? I'm going to Coach. Where are you going? I'm going over to Dick's. Where are you going? I'm go- All of the high-end, magnificent mile stores. I don't even know if Dick's is one of those, by the way. But you get the point. Somebody got shot. So let's go steal stuff. Chicago don't care. And they were right. Chicago hasn't cared. But now Lori Lightfoot doesn't want anybody pointing that out. 216-901-0945. Right back. That's Kowalski Ford. Get there. Okay, 936. We continue on AM 1420. The answer. Good news. Really good news. I just got a text message from one Peter Kersenow, who has finished his extra assignment a little bit earlier than I anticipated and will be calling us at 1010 this morning, which is great. He was on uh, Tucker Carlson last night. If you missed it, you missed more great wisdom from Pete, but I'll ask him to... uh, reprise that uh, coming up at about 1010 this morning. Uh, hey, before I get back to the Chicago story, and I do have the audio glitch fix, so you can hear the reporter's question too. This is just fun. You want to laugh a little bit? You, you, you'll like this. In Portland, where police officers are next to uh, invisible because they are not allowed to do anything to stop now 71 or 72 straight nights of violence and anarchy in that city by uh, their liberal mayor, Ted Wheeler, um, police officers were detaining one female protester for one reason or another not exactly uh not exactly sure why doesn't matter whatever it was it was their job and uh a male officer was patting down this female to see if she had weapons on her as they detained her a smart mouth reporter named shauna sowersby came by and asked him isn't there a female officer available to do this pat down as if that's the way things go now a male officer can't pat down a potentially dangerous suspect with um, uh, who may have weapons in order to make sure that he and everyone around them are protected. you got to have a female there. So this smart-mouthed reporter named Shauna Sowersby says, don't you have a female officer available to pat down that woman? And the male officer doing the pat-down turned and said, nope, but how do you know I don't identify as a female? <laughs> which I absolutely loved. Uh, How dare you presume that I'm a male simply because I have a mustache and a deeper voice than Barry White? How dare you? You have no idea what I am. I might be a female patting her down, and this is just perfectly fine. Actually, it is perfectly fine uh, whether or not uh, uh, he is an actual male or not because that's the way things have to be done. But that was classic. Outstanding job. That officer uh, should be commended. All right. uh, Now I want to go back and let you hit this again. 
or actually, let me hit it for you so you can hear it again, so you can hear the reporter's question. And the superintendent, who you can tell, Superintendent David Brown, uh, is tired of the games in his city. Police Superintendent David Brown in Chicago is tired of the nonsense. He takes the reporter's question and basically says, yup, listen. It, it almost sounds as though you're saying this is... The reason we have it is because the courts and the prosecutors were not doing their job, that they were going too easy on the looters from the last time around. Is, I, don't don't take you? it from me. Just go by what's been done. I'm just I, asking I don't, you, I don't want to do your job for saying? you, but just go by what's been done. There, was, there were no consequences for the people arrested. Greg, let's be clear. So that's, that's the superintendent of police, David Brown, saying, you don't have to take it from me. Just open your eyes and look. Yeah, there were no consequences last time around. And that's when here comes Mayor Lori interrupting the, uh, chief, or the uh, superintendent, shoving him aside, taking the microphone. She was in the background at that time. She went to the microphone and said, I got this, and then uh, attacked the reporter, whose name is Craig Wall, from Channel 7 out there in Chicago for, quote-unquote, bait us. Okay? Do not bait us. Don't, do not bait us. This is a serious situation. The bottom line is Mayor Lori Lightfoot is in a really, really untenable position because she knows full well that uh, the prosecutor in Chicago... Uh, Kimberly Fox, who is a just an activist racist who refuses to prosecute people of color in most cases, including violent criminals. There is there are legion, there are so many you know volumes of of stories rather on Kim Fox doing her job. But uh, so she wouldn't prosecute all of those people who had an air of righteousness about them when they violently looted and smashed and destroyed uh, after the George Floyd incident. And so you know. Lori Lightfoot has to has to come down on that, but she can't because Lori Lightfoot endorsed Kim Fox and said she's great. U.S. Attorney or State Attorney rather, Kim Fox has been doing a great job. Lori Lightfoot said in her endorsement. Now she has to acknowledge and admit, yeah, uh, she isn't prosecuting anybody, and that does indeed give. Uh, the criminal element, all of the emboldenment, all of the uh, reason and justification they need to go forward because they know there's no consequences coming. So anyway, the, the point to all of this should be obvious. The violence that is going unabated in this city is is happening because liberal Democrat mayors refuse to stop it. Whether it's Wheeler or Durkin or Garcetti, and I'll go through that list again, de Blasio and, and Bowser and so forth. Uh, Frank Jackson... Because liberal Democrat mayors are doing nothing to stop it. They're barely giving even lip service to saying we hope it ends soon. They're barely saying anything because how dare they cross Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the rest of their voting constituency. How dare they even think about such a thing. So it goes on because they allow it. And you know who else allows it? You know who else is complicit by his silence in this? Because this is a part of his voting constituency as well. It's Joe Biden. When has Joe Biden spoken out about the 72 straight nights of violence and fires and attacks in Portland and in Seattle and in Minneapolis and on down the line? When is Joe Joe Biden says nothing about this. If he did, he'd trip all over himself. But he has said nothing. And do you know if you're looking for silver linings... And I'm always looking for a silver lining to so many of these terrible dark clouds. If you're looking for a silver lining to this one, the answer might be that President Donald Trump is going to benefit from it significantly. 
Byron York today in the Washington Examiner. Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, New York, and other major cities are experiencing a breakdown of order. Violence and conflict that is a mixture of left-wing revolution, racial unrest, and old-fashioned crime. Whatever else they might have in common, all are governed by progressive Democrats. And all owe their current disorder in some part to the failure of progressive Democrat policies on the issue of public safety. That should be an advantage for a Republican president running for re-election. What is unclear is whether or not President Trump will make it work for his campaign. What has been uh, striking to many observers of the rioting following the May 25th death of George Floyd has been the degree to which local officials have allowed and sometimes seemingly encouraged the forces of disorder to run wild in their cities. And they have. And I'll stop uh, Byron York. uh, They have. They have done exactly that. They have not only allowed it, they have encouraged it. They have talked about the anger and the resentment that has been building up in the black community that has led to this. And then George Floyd was just, you know, the the straw that broke the camel's back, and away we go, and we can't stop these people that have been looking for an outlet to express their their rage at systemic racism in America and police brutality and blah, blah, blah. They have given justification. They have given uh, reasons for the individuals in their cities to keep doing this rather than discouraging it. They have essentially uh, de facto encouraged it. In early June, back to Byron, York, a crowd in St. Paul looped a rope around the neck of a statue of Christopher Columbus near the state capitol and pulled it to the ground. Looking at the video of the event, the question is natural. Where are the police? Certainly no one tried to stop the destruction. In the wake of Floyd's death in police custody, the city council, following the phrase popular on the left, instead voted to defund the police. Scenes of unrest erupted around the country in Seattle after several nights of violent protest. An anarchistic group took over a police precinct building, then a six-block section of the city, which they renamed CHOP, or CHAZ. Seattle Mayor Jen A. Jen A. Durkin did nothing to stop it. Durkin said the occupation had a block party atmosphere and might turn into a summer of love. Media coverage followed her lead. Now emerging accounts of the Chaz Chop show that life in the zone was more dystopian hell than the summer of love. There was violence, looting, property destruction, armed men demanding protection money, businesses disappearing with years of work lost. The disaster lasted for 24 days until the rioters showed up at Durkin's house and then the mayor finally took action to shut it all down. But that didn't stop the disorder in Seattle. One week after the zone was closed, July 24, the city's police police chief sent a message to residents and businesses. The city council has outlawed pepper spray and other crowd control tools. So police would have no ability to safely intercede to preserve property in the midst of a large violent crowd. The unspoken message from the city to its residents was, you're on your own. The situation in Portland has become a national issue. I've already talked about that at length. New York has not had Portland-style nightly demonstrations, but Bill de Blasio's policies of slashing the police budget, weakening crime, uh, 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 I'm sorry, weakening police crime investigating abilities, and freeing prisoners has resulted in a horrendous crime wave that has the people, has people fleeing the city. Shootings are up 201% in in, uh, New York City compared to 2019. The number of shooting victims rose 165%, and the number of homicides climbed by 50%. Increases that have not been seen in decades. Chicago, we've already talked about. So here we go, back to the point that Byron York is making, and I want to emphasize. This is an election year. Cities with progressive leadership are discussing proposals in the midst of increasing crime, 
to defund the police. Think about the sense of that. Liberal Democrats are calling for the defunding of police while crime rates are increasing. Shouldn't that make a nation of homeowners and citizens terrified? Crime is on a ma- violent crime, no less, is on a massive spike. And the response to that by liberal Democrats would be to defund the police, putting less officers on the streets. Think about that for just a moment. So as Byron York writes, election years are times for partisan arguments. They don't have to be nuanced. They don't have to be subtle. And one Republican message this year is the people who are tolerating and even cheering on the force on the forces of disorder are Democrats. What will the presumptive Democrat candidate for president Joe Biden do about that? Probably not much. Do not look for Biden to have what in the 1990s was called a sister soldier moment to take a stand against extremists on his own side. Instead, Biden, who has apologized for his role in the Bill Clinton-era crime bill, is trying to play both sides of the street. For example, he has said he does not support uh, does not support defunding police, but when interviewed by progressive activists who asked whether he would support redirecting funds away from the police, he says yes. Down in the polls, time running out, Trump faces a daunting re-election battle, but the failure of progressive governance to ensure public safety around the country has given Trump an opportunity. He must take it. President Trump needs to look at Chicago, Seattle, Portland, L.A., New York, Minneapolis, Cleveland, where shootings are up 60-plus percent. He needs to look at all of those liberal Democrat cities that are burning, people who are terrified, progressive leadership allowing the terror to go unabated, Joe Biden refusing to speak out against it. Trump needs to look at all of that and say, I will put an end to this. I cannot do it. However, in just the next 90 days, I'm going to need your support to do it. You want to feel safe in your home again? You want to feel safe in your business? You want to feel safe to go go down and, and patronize businesses in downtown areas in each of these cities, then you need me. Law and order will prevail in a Trump administration, as it always has, until this particular situation happened with George Floyd and liberal progressive Democrats without any words of condemnation from my opponent, Joe Biden, are allowing the rioting and the arson and the looting to go on. All of that stuff will continue if you if if I lose this election. You want peace, you want law and order, you want people to be held accountable for their crimes, you need to give me four more years. I think Byron York is right. This is a winner. This is a winner for Donald Trump. If there's any silver lining to the cloud of violence and, and vandalism and so on and so forth, that silver lining is Donald Trump can and must use it as a political tool. And not just for the purposes of politics, but because the cause is right. All right, it's 9.50. Come right back on AM 1420 The Answer. Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. 
All right, 9.55. Let's get a couple of phone calls in before the top of the hour. Um, waiting patiently in Seven Hills has been Gary on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Gary. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Say, I drove downtown for the first time in a few months on Sunday, and I was shocked to see all the boarded-up windows and the, the, still the uh, the rubble and destruction from the from the um, riots that took place uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I don't think it's getting the coverage that, that it ought to get. Um, and I can't imagine what the destruction is like in Portland, Seattle, where this has been going on for for a month. And I, and I, I just I'm, I'm surprised that if anyone that drives downtown would. It made me afraid, frankly, just to drive through there. Well, you you know, it should. You should be afraid, and you should be sad, and you should be disappointed, and you should be disgusted by it, because it doesn't have to happen. But this is what happens when a city like like Cleveland goes into, and thank you, Gary, for the call, goes into an agreement with, uh, you know, the Justice Department called the Consent Decree that the city council all signed off on, that Frank Jackson all signed off on back during the Obama years, uh, after uh, what happened, uh, you know, in several cities, but particularly here in Cleveland with a couple of high-profile incidents. Uh, that we know about, they have put handcuffs on the cops, uh, figuratively. They have restrained them from doing their jobs and been being proactive in policing, and it has led to a spike in crime. Violent crime is up in Cleveland. Shootings are up in Cleveland. Homicides are up in Cleveland by terrible, terrible numbers because the people of Cleveland know what the people of Chicago knew. Pretty much, if you if you are even remotely, not remotely, wrong word, if you are even uh, uh, a little bit um, proficient at, at at committing your crimes without being super brazen about it, you can probably get away with it because the police there aren't allowed to do their jobs. And that happens because of leadership. Frank Jackson, the city council. Again, it's like a liberal, it's the same story in all the cities I named multiple times today. They all are led by liberal Democrats who do not believe in policing and who do believe in allowing people to do whatever the hell they want. Um, let's go to uh, Mike, who's calling us from Columbia Station on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Mike, go ahead. Hey, Bob, how you doing today? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, I got. Uh, I just found this out yesterday that if you go on Google and you type in any three-digit number and follow it up with new cases, that'll always come up with the number of coronaviruses that are out there. So, in other words, if you put in one, two, yeah, three, yeah, new I've cases, seen that. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah. Hey, and yeah. to follow up on, and to follow up on your uh, what you mentioned about President Trump, where you know. With all this rioting and stuff going on, and uh, and him about you know if he gets elected, how you could take you know he could probably do something about it. But isn't that true that he can only do it on the federal level or not the state? Well, yes, uh, to an extent. Uh, but the goal here would be whoever is the president of the United States who is watching the cities in his country burn. Yes, those cities are within states, and yes, governors can impact uh, how how things are done there as well. You know, I mean, it does trickle down, but but the but it does start with leadership. Nobody right now, you know, when the president of the United States now, who is kind of in a precarious situation because he's ninety days away from an election, says this is what we want to do. We want to send federal agents in there to deal with this. This, this, and this. Um, it, it's tilting at windmills. You, you know, you're, it's a very difficult thing to accomplish because the liberal Democrats want to say you're going to be gone soon. We don't have to listen to you, right? When he wants to send federal agents in and coordinate, etc. 
Uh, but if he's the president of the United States for the next four years and the violence that we're talking about right now continues for the next three months during this uh, election cycle, when he wins, he will indeed have a mandate to crack down on these places. And he will be able to pull governors in and say, we're going to have a meeting about what's going on in your state. We're going to meet with your big city mayors and talk about the best way to protect the citizens because they may be citizens of Minneapolis. They may be citizens of Portland. They may be citizens of Seattle. They may be citizens of Cleveland, but they're also citizens of the United States. And yes, federal leadership matters, and it can impact decisions made at local levels. That's the best way I can say that. Uh, Will in Houston, my good friend. Will, go right ahead, sir. Hey, brother. How you doing, man? Uh, good, my A couple man. of quick things. Number one, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm all excited as always to hear, hear my boy um, Pete come up and listen to his wisdom that he, you know, he's going to bring. I lo- love hearing him talk. Number two, you know, I, if, you, if you notice, I think a lot of these problem areas, these Democrat uh, areas where you have these high crime um, things going on, a lot of these have far left uh, um, district attorneys, man, far left judges. You know, so so when they say elections have consequences, elections have consequences. You know, and and so you know, the true. superintendent, superintendent in, in Chicago, man, he you know he's constantly constantly talking about how all these um, criminals are let out in this because of the judges and district attorneys. Third thing, third thing, uh, I, I got into a conversation with uh, somebody you know, that tried to tell me that, well, Biden doesn't want to defund the police. He just wants to uh, redirect funds. I said, okay, I tell you what, give me your bank account. Give me your bank account so that I can redirect funds from your bank account <laughs> to whatever, <laughs> to whatever uh, 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 community project I want to redirect those funds to. That is defunded. I would defund. Yeah, let's see. Is that very well said, my friend? Very well said. And that's exactly Biden's little escape clause here is I didn't say defund the police, but you did say take funds away from the police and put them somewhere else. That is defunding no matter how you cut it. Will, thank you, my brother. Great stuff. Always good to hear from you. It's 10 o'clock. Let's get news. Curse it on next.